0: another edition of baseball and beyond and uh it's presented by mass's restaurant and a guy who not only doesn't play a lot of baseball but eats a lot of pizza i'm assuming not as much so you look skinnier it's reed
1: low how you doing man you don't have to lean in i don't lean Well, you can do whatever you'd like okay i'll just sit here (laughs) how are you
0: i haven't we haven't heard from you in a while what is reed low reed low former blue former tough guy what are you what have you been up to
1: You know, um, not much. Uh, We're sitting in my wonderful office here at Fabic Cat, uh, the largest industrial and construction equipment manufacturer in the world. Um, Fortunate enough to have a good job here at Fabic, uh, um, enjoying my time with used equipment. Uh, i got four kids and uh, coached a little hockey here and there, and chilling out, man. Four kids? I didn't know that, man.
0: We used to work together, me and you, for a little bit, very short time. You actually helped me. Get a drink out of the Stanley Cup. I don't know if you remember that yeah, night.
1: Yeah, yeah, Jamal Mayer's had his cup. I didn't want to have one. And Jammer's like, listen, Losey, you're never going to get close to this thing again. Get over here and have a swig. So I finally decided to break down and had a drink out of the cup. Yeah,
0: we have a great story. We went chasing after it. So we saw that it was in town. We knew that it was at OB Clark's at some point in the day. We get to OB Clark's. Around 6 or 7, the girls act like, oh, no, we, no, we don't know. We, we don't know what that—of course they knew what it was. They weren't telling us. But we found it thanks— in part to you. Yeah. So I have a great picture and a great story about drinking from the Stanley Cup because I don't think, as you said, you won't drink. If I, I know I'll never be drinking from it ever again.
1: <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not in the hockey circles, but uh, you never know where the chips may fall, right?
0: You're an alum. You live in St. Louis. And that's what I was thinking as I was driving over. It's just crazy how many of you guys stay here. You're from Moose Jaw, which I'm going to ask you about in a second. But what, what keeps you in St. Louis? And what, is it just because, hey, Uh, There's my ex-teammate Jamal. There's my ex-teammate Walt. I mean, it just literally, it's a a family of people that just say, I'm staying.
1: Well, first off, it has to do with the fans and and – the way that we're treated, even after. Like I still talk to people today, they want your autograph. Um, they treat you with kindness and they treat you like you're part of the community. And, and that's something that's important. It's very easy to see right off the bat as soon as you become a St. Louis Blue and you start to play and you, I don't know man, give your blood, sweat and tears and you give the fans everything you have. Um, there's an opportunity for guys to live here afterwards. Uh, it's a good community, it's a, it's, it's a fairly safe community. I live down in Jefferson County. You said fairly. I like. <laughs> well, there's some parts of St. Louis that aren't so safe, but you know, we won't get into that. <laughs> um, but I, you know, honestly, it's. Uh, I think that the the, the alumni were the far, third largest alumni in the National Hockey League with Toronto and Boston, the the two natural ones uh, selections for most guys that come out of Canada and United States are kind of from those reasons. Although I would say Minnesota is a pretty good hotbed for hockey and United States hockey too, but, um, it's just a great town. And, you know, I, I married a girl from here and I got a job hereafter and I worked at Ritchie brothers forever. And then now I'm over here and uh, I know a lot of people in the community and St. Louis is my home. You know, I was born and raised in Canada. That's where my heart is, but, um, St. Louis is my home. That's where I'll be. I love the alumni portion because You've got a Bernie Federico, a Brett Hall, a Wayne
0: Gretzky, an Al McInnis, a Chris Pronger, Hall of Famers. Uh, no slight to you, but then there's a Reed Lowe and a Cam Jansen and a Jeff Brown, and, and you guys are all treated the same. I, I don't think there's any difference between Wayne and you. Obviously, Wayne gets a little more. Maybe even though, But it's still that you guys are always, hey, we're having an alumni thing. Reed, we want you here. Uh, Jax, we need Jax over here. I mean,
1: that's got to be just kind of the coolest part of that. It is, and it's a lot of fun when we all get together on our, uh, you know, if we have a charity outing or even a lot of times we have a Christmas party for the alumni. Um, and it's cool, too, because I'm still friends with a lot of the guys in the team. And actually, I'll be out of town next week, but they're having a meet and greet with everybody, um, the current players and and the, the alumni, because there's something here and there's something special and even the management and Doug Armstrong recognize it and they want the guys to have an understanding of what it's like after and it's one of the coolest fraternities that there is once you're an NHLer you're kind of always an NHLer and um, so we're really fortunate to have a good group of people to to hang out with uh, do skates we do our alumni fantasy camp every year Um, you know as an alumni I'm on the board of directors for the alumni blues alumni as well and we raise about Three or four hundred thousand dollars a year for children's charities, and and, and uh, we and police officers, and uh, and and so I think it's important for us to be a part of the community, but also give back and uh, make sure that uh, we continue to keep the 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 alumni name a good name like it has been from. Guys that started like Bobby pleger and you Noel know, Picard and uh, all those guys that lived here for so many years and then into John Winsink and you know, really to be honest with you, not to go off, but um, you know, a couple of years ago five kids were drafted in the first round and I think that the blues alumni, the old guys, the John Wensinks and the Larry Pateys and uh the Mike Zooks and the Bruce Afflecks that were a part of uh uh, building hockey in St. Louis, really—that those are the guys that really truly deserve the credit for that, because they were the ones that that came and they stayed, and they they got their kids into hockey, and um, they taught hockey, and um, those were all Canadian guys that came down to the St. Louis and stayed here and, and developed hockey in St. Louis today. And St. Louis is definitely one of the top communities in the United States for hockey, without question.
0: That's fun as a fan to watch, um, you know, Stastny's kids, and then. Kachuk's kids and McCrae's kids it really is fun to see that but uh let's talk about your, your career uh, so big fighter obviously that was sort of how you came up when when did you realize uh that that was going to be your path like when did you know that in juniors uh, as you get drafted by the blues and you're kind of coming up that this is what's going to happen you're a big guy obviously probably a big goal scorer too so you have to decide between I'm just kidding <laughs> but when did you know I mean was it always this is I'm 15 I'm bigger than all these other kids this is what I'm going to do
1: Well, it probably started when I was 17 years old and I went to my first junior camp in the Saskatchewan Junior League. Um, It was an American-based team in Minot, North Dakota. And the funny part is, is I was the top point getters on my team growing up now I was always on the tier two team and I knew that yeah the midget double a team I played on there was a midget triple a team I was the last cut on that team and the midget double a team that year I led that team in scoring goals everything and I also led them in fights because I was the big guy that had to stick out for the little guy now in midget hockey nowadays you'd be suspended for the rest of your life if you got in a fight but back then we just get kicked out of the game and if we did it too many times in a row we might get a little suspension here or there but uh, it was something that was more allowed than it is today and so I went to this camp in mine. North Dakota and in the inner squad game I scored four goals and the toughest guy on the team from the year before called me on and I said no they really didn't think I needed to fight him until he punched me in the face and I thought you know I better do something here so I dropped my gloves and I beat the piss out of him <laughs> and I'm sitting in the coach's office after and I'm not expecting to make the team I'm expecting to jump in the truck with my mom and my dad and my buddy Chris Burke and we're gonna head back to Moose Jaw and I'm gonna play mid to AAA hockey and uh, what actually happened was the coach said Hey, do you think you could do that again? And I said, score four goals in one game. And he's like, no, that, that's nice little caveat. But he's like, can you fight like that? And I said, does it mean I'm going to make the team? And he said, it definitely could. I said, well, you point them out and I'll take them out. And literally that year, um, you know, in the Skatchewan junior league, you got kicked out if you got in a fight, but he literally tapped me on the shoulder and say, go get number two. And I would just pay attention to the times that he was telling me to go do something like that. And I kind of just started to grow into the role. And I went through times in my hockey career where I had a decent amount of points and, you know, I wasn't a guy without skill. Skating was always my biggest problem, but, um, in junior, in that, in, in Western hockey league in junior hockey I played two years in my hometown of Moosh after I was done in, uh, in Minot, you know, I had uh, 12 and 16 goals, um, in, in those two seasons um, and then my third year in the minor leagues in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts where the state changes Adele at 25 uh, I had 12 goals 18 assists 22 fights and 270 penalty minutes so a little mixture of everything and you know when you a get a modern day Gordie Howe yeah well in the minors <laughs> a modern day minor league Gordie Howe uh, but you know I, I you know for me it was uh, I wanted to make sure that I improved my skills all the way along um, you know you look at some of the guys in the 80s and even more in the 90s as i was starting to come into the league that almost fought their way out of the league um there just wasn't there if you were a liability on the ice Um, you weren't going to get in the ice. And I wanted to be somebody that was a regular in the lineup that wasn't a continued healthy scratch. If the other team didn't have a tough guy like the Red Wings didn't a lot. So I just wanted to make sure that I was was valuable. And and there was a big value for me because of the way I played on the ice and my toughness and and my ability to fight. And the guys wanted that on the bench. So it was up to me to make sure that I worked on my skills so that I wasn't a complete disaster out there and a liability and the team was shorthanded. So you get to
0: the NHL on that kind of that path. Tell me a little bit about each night knowing, I mean, I looked at your your game log from the first season. You had a fight, I think, every night. I mean, literally Matt Johnson, I think, is the first one I looked yeah. at, and then Ian LaPerriere is the next one each time. So give me the, the thought in your stomach. I mean, you have your, your major debut in the NHL, but now you know what the, the, the role is. I mean, there's going to be butterflies just for anybody playing in their first game, but also knowing that you're probably going to have to drop the gloves. I would just think, like, I'd have butterflies, but I guess when that's your job, that's the job, and you're ready to take an ass-beating if need be or beat someone's ass if need be.
1: Yeah, well, first off, and, and I only know this because if you watch YouTube enough, they show the stats on the video, but I think I was in nine fights in my first nine games and 17 fights in my first 26, and I remember talking to Joel Quinville, who was a coach at the time, you know, as I was in the middle of the streak, seven games and seven fights, and he called me in the office, and he's like, is it your goal to fight every single night this season? <laughs> and I said, I turned around, I said back to him, I said, is it your goal to have Keith Kachuk score every night this season? And, you know, just to kind of be funny, and he kind of looked at me and laughed and said, well, yeah. And I said, well, that's my job, you know, you want I want to do it, and I want to show you guys that I'm going to do it, and I want to show my teammates that I'm going to be a part of it so that they can feel better and that we can have a safe playground for everyone to play on, uh, you know, and... So, um, you know, it does dwindle down. You you do start getting into hockey more, and, it, and as the season grows on, uh, there's no way you could get in a fight every single night. It's uh, I'm sure there's been some guys in the minor leagues that have put a good effort at it, but in the National Hockey League level, it, you know, as you start to settle in and you start to play a little bit more and the fights become less, as we've all seen toward the end of the year and definitely into the playoffs. So, um, you know, but the day-to-day grind of it um, – you know, my dad always told me about Dale Carnegie and day tight compartments. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things that you just got to kind of p- compartmentalize. And um, there was lots of nights I didn't get to sleep that well. There was lots of days that, um, you know, especially we were playing George Rock and the Edmonton Oilers that I knew there was probably a nasty coming to me that night. But, you know, it was part of what I signed up for. And, you know, I still went after it every night and and. You know, every once in a while, maybe David gets a chance to beat Goliath. And, and so you always got to be careful. But I wasn't just scared of George Rock. I was, I, was, I was scared every single time that, and I, I don't know if scared's the word, but, you know, I, I was always worried about what could happen. Like, when you take a look at the NHL and the 30 teams, well, 31 now, and 30 back when I played, and the fact that those are the 30 toughest guys on skates right? And it's the only legal bare-knuckle fighting in the world. (laughs) You know, when you really take a look at what hockey fighting is, and these guys are good. They've trained for it. I train for it. I box for it. We wrestle around. Um, We strengthen our cores so that we can be be that guy on the ice that intimidates the other team and protects our, our guys. And, you know, for me, I was never a fighter. I was always a protector. I tell people all the time, and Ten years a pro, four years a junior. I was probably in somewhere between 275 and 300 fights. Um, And I've never been in a street fight in my life. Um, It's just not something I do. I would always do anything I could to get out of the the fights that seemed to come my well, I was
0: way. Say, would that happen out in this? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're, they see you on TV I, that night. Hey, let's see. Let me see what I can do with Reed Low. I'm, I'm a big guy,
1: and always, I always tried to outsmart the guys. Uh, usually, those guys that already had a few cocktails, and I was just getting started. So, um, I would that guy would come up to me, and I'd put my arm around him and say, "Listen, you know, I'm not very tough onto the street, but I can use a bodyguard tonight. And why don't I put all your drinks on my tab tonight, <laughs> and you can just take care of me? And next thing you know, I had a friend in every bar. It was actually. <laughs> was really nice (laughs) that's a great
0: idea Uh, all right we're gonna get back into this interview with Reed low in a moment but i want to let you know it gets a little interactive coming up we talk about some of his fights we look at them from youtube so if you're interested in seeing the fights that we're referencing here oh there's a bunch of ways you can just uh go to youtube search s t weekly s t w e e k l y formerly sports talk weekly my cable access show but Put that in the search and then go to my page and I'll have a playlist of the four fights we show and look at and you can watch along with Reed as he talks about these fights. It's kind of fun to get his perspective as he fights Ty Domi and Darren McCarty. And then there's a fight uh, with a Boston Bruin that is just uh, hilarious to watch. So the easiest way is just go to YouTube, subscribe to my channel over there too. It's ST Weekly and I'll have that playlist in there. I'll also uh, post that on Twitter and I'll also have a, uh, a blog page about this episode at Brad's. Sportspage.blogspot.com, BradSportspage.blogspot.com. So a lot of different ways if you really want to see these fights, but uh, that's what's going to happen here once we get going, and then Reed will uh, mention some fights with Bob Probert. So this is one of my favorite episodes I think I've ever done because I, I enjoy hockey back in the day when there was fighting and fun. So uh, once again, YouTube search St Weekly. I'll have a playlist called Reed Low Fights. And I'll have them in the order that we look at them coming up uh, here on the show. want to talk about uh, First Give Thanks. I don't normally uh, ever get a chance to mention the uh, theme song, but the Trip Daddies. It's my brother's band. They've been around St. Louis for 20-plus years playing rockabilly and blues and just good old-fashioned rock and roll, really. It's the Trip Daddies who do the theme song, and I'm grateful that uh, I got to buy the rights to that for free. And I'm also thankful for the sponsors of Baseball and Beyond, Sounds like we got a few coming on board in 2018. 2018 is going to be a big year, but the big title sponsor, they've been here since day one. It's Massa's Restaurants, five locations in St. Louis. Massa'sSTL.com is where you can find the menus. Take a look at those specials, the pasta, the pizza. They've got seafood. They've got steaks. Oh, it's so good. I to go there over the holidays. That's my plan. I haven't been in a while. It's time for me to get over Talk to those waitresses and waiters. They're just the nicest people. They make you feel like you're at home. Maybe I'll go with a big group. Maybe I'll just take my lovely lady friend over there for a romantic getaway dinner. But it's Master's Restaurants, five locations in St. Louis. And lastly, uh, my Twitter page is Brad Strabinger. I give more updates about some of these podcasts. So follow me over there if you want to Be up to date as to when the newest and latest podcasts are coming out. Uh, And also, it'd be very nice if you're a regular listener. It looks like we got a few regular listeners. I do see a lot of people popping through as I read the counter, which is very exciting that people are listening to these. I appreciate that. But go to iTunes if that's where you are listening. And just give a nice uh, five-star rating. Maybe say something generous. I'd like to see it in the search. Baseball and for sand beyond. Do something nice for me on this holiday season. Yes, help your podcast friend, Brad Straubinger. All right, so now uh, we'll take you back to the uh, episode, and we're going to start by looking at uh, a fight with Ty Domi. I erroneously say it's Ken Wilson uh, calling this fight, but it's uh, one of his first fights of his career.
1: it's Domi, of course, with... Tell us a little bit about this fight here. So that's my first fight against Ty Domi in St. Louis. Uh, we threw a p- couple punches here and there, but it was pretty much a draw. And at that point in my career, it was it was early. And I literally went out every night in my first shift, and I looked for a fight. And I was looking to get at it, and I was looking to get nasty. And um, Joel Quimble was pretty you know pretty good to me when it came to getting me out against the other team's tough guys. I was a third liner at the time, or fourth liner, and, and Ty was a, a third liner. So... He helped get me on the ice there, and you know, I had a little words after. and But Ty Domi's got the most fighting majors in NHL history, so obviously one of the toughest guys ever to play. And for me, I was happy to just stay alive.
0: I was going to say, watching that and knowing that that's going to be the guy um, that you're going to see in your seventh game, you had to be thinking. Right? You see the Maple Leafs, October whatever it was. I mean, that's got to be – you have I, to have that circle on the calendar going, this is – I can't. I mean, I would be thinking, I can't wait myself
1: yeah. well, I <laughs> if I was you. I was I, I couldn't wait to give him a whirl I couldn't wait to to fight the big boys um at that time in my in my career you know I was hungry to prove myself, I was hungry to be the next guy. I had big shoes to fill with Kelly Chase and Tony Twist being the guys before me. Um, you know, obviously Tony Twist was one of the toughest guys probably to ever play. So um, I wanted to get out there and I wanted to let everybody in St. Louis as well as the guys on my team know that everything was going to be okay and uh, that is, you know, if somebody got liberty taken against them, Someone's going to have to pay the piper. And, you know, my coaching staff was good to me when I needed to go out there and, and set the tone. Um, they gave me the opportunity to do it. So um, Ty Domi was you know, as tough as they come. Yeah, and, You know, Bob Probert in his fights. Uh, Bob Probert probably is the toughest guy to ever play Did hockey. Did you get him? And, Did you? Yep. Okay, yeah, I looked Hawks for that because so I didn't know if you had uh, that. He was with the Blackhawks then. Very and end that his was, career. Was, that was my fourth game. Okay, I got to find fun. that.
0: I yeah. looked at I thought, okay, because I was looking at your careers, I thought Bob may have – Tell me about that. I mean, that's the guy everyone thinks about.
1: Yeah, so Bob Probert. You got it? I, I don't know. I got a, I got a <laughs> pretty cool picture of it. Um, Bob Probert is kind of one of those um, guys that everybody wants, and it was really kind of weird because we're standing on the face-off first shift, and he's looking at me shaking his gloves, and this guy's 37 years old, veteran, several hundred fights, and he's looking at the rookie because I had been in – four fights and four nights already and I had the most fights in the NHL and I'd racked up some penalty minutes already. and he's like all right new kids coming so he's already geared up right so I was a little bit intimidated right off the bat and I just dropped my gloves with them and uh, I managed to stay you know alive like I did in, in all my fights uh but you know I'm on my Instagram account here I've got a pretty cool pretty cool picture of of me and uh and me and Bob and do you uh, talked
0: to him after the game at all I know I, I mean
1: talked to him after the game Nah, there's me giving oh, there Bob a pretty nice overhand right. Good picture. And then I read the low
0: low. Do you want people to know your Instagram account? Yeah, sure. Low read thirty four. Great picture. You got to go check this one out. Uh, he's punching. Bob Probert in the face. And then a great right
1: after that, I hit him with an uppercut, and he went kind of flying into the glass. And then the refs broke it up, and then he was saying some nasty words to me, and but he was going to kill me next time I got on the ice against him. And I never, ever fought him again, thank goodness, because <laughs> he was pretty pissed off that he didn't beat the young kid up. So I, I managed to survive that one too. But, you know, I, I fought them all, you know, um, Donald Brashear, um, Ken, uh, belong, or, uh, um, Ken Baumgartner, like, whoever. No. like It didn't matter who it was. Let's look at one more here. That
0: was. I'm sorry, that was not Ken Wilson. Uh, that was the first fight. I'm going to just play a little Ken Wilson for people to hear his voice here. He Another. has a goal, and now Manson has his first release. Here's Ty Bandy fight here. Uh, fight breaks
1: out.
0: Reed Low and Ty Bandy. Here
1: we go. And that Manson. one. Go ahead. And that one, he... Uh, he, he, that was a face-off right there yeah, at the beginning I, of the period. I called him off. I called him on, and he said no, and then as I started to skate away, he kind of jumped me, and that's when he was kind of spinning me around. And then this one was a little bit more in, engaging. This actually was the game that we came back from 5 nothing in the third period. This fight happened with about four minutes left in the, in the second period. It was 4 nothing, and I went out there to try and get the boy sparked, so, so Ty ended up fighting me. And then they scored again at the beginning of the third period, and then there was about 50 minutes left, and uh, we scored five goals, and then Jokin, what the heck, scored in uh, overtime uh, to complete the comeback. So that was a pretty awesome game. Kenny here. Jump in. Domi letting go a couple of lefts, but neither has much fuel remaining. Well, you, you helped
0: us uh, win one of the best comebacks of all time. I'm going to do one more here. This uh, is Darren McCarty. You fought him twice here in a playoff. This may be a playoff no, game, was, not a playoff. Let's, no playoff. let's hear a little bit of the uh, audio here first, then we'll get your thoughts, and we'll talk a little more. Let's see uh, the uh, Gary the, the
1: Thorne,
0: you go with McCarty. Out, here we go. The shirt's coming off, Reed. This is not good for you if his shirt's coming off, right?
1: No, that's Darren McCarty's game. Uh, he never tied down, and uh, that was how he used to win. But I just end up grabbing around the throat and kind of holding him at bay. Right now I've got him under his arms, and, you know, he's, it just it's just the way Darren was. He, he didn't want to tie down, so even though everybody else was, he got kicked out of the game, so not a big deal. Well, I didn't have to worry about him doing anything anymore. See so here I just kind of grab him by the throat right Right here. There he is. (laughs) Just grabbed by the throat and hold him out. Dug my thumb right into his jugular vein.
0: I don't him, He wasn't much of a fighter. I think he was more of a cheap shot guy, right? That's what I think about
1: him. He fought though. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid to uh, to drop the gloves. Uh, D-Mac, he was a tough guy. Um, you know, he was a good skater. He was a good hitter. He was an agitator, but you know, he was a light heavyweight. He didn't fight all the big boys, but you know, he fought Domi and the Rob Rays of the world. And you know, some of those guys, he didn't want to tangle with too big of the guys, and, and I ended up fighting them a couple different times, but I didn't get to fight as many times as I wanted to.
0: So when do you do you get injured? How often were you like, holy shit, I just got really my bell rung? How many times does that happen? You think? Can you think?
1: Uh, <laughs> and that's I, my I, next
0: I, question, and I don't want to laugh about it, but yeah. it, then I start thinking, how are you physically? Because we see a lot of these... You know NHL guys who fought, you know, have some some obviously terrible outcomes to the end of their lives. You seem sure. like you've got it together. That's a great thing. Yeah. Looks like, it. I don't, I don't have a light here in your you eye, never, but
1: you never know. No, I'm 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 doing good. Um, if you watch my fights, you'll see that I wasn't a guy that took a lot of punches to the head. I dodged and tried to get out of the way as much as I possibly could. Um, but you know, at the, at the end of the day, there's a lot of guys that do suffer from from concussions um but again a lot of the uh, they have happened and then the biggest thing was they didn't rest guys properly back then um but you got to understand a lot of these guys played a physical game too and I would say that I got my bell rung in a hit either me giving it or getting hit by somebody just as many times as I got my bell rung with a fist so um you know Scott Stevens destroyed more careers from concussion than Bob Probert did And Scott Stevens didn't fight very often. He was just that hard a hitter. And, like, I tried to body check Kevin Stevens once, and it was like running into a brick wall. So I can't imagine not seeing him and getting hit by him. Um, I I, I got my bell rung a bunch. Um, I don't think my head's as dizzy as anybody anybody else's. Um, You know, but like I said, I I got out of the game early. I didn't – those last – five or six years that that tough guy can't walk away. Those are the years I think that really are detrimental to a, to a tough guy's life is the guy that I was 30 years old. Everybody was shocked that I, that I retired and then I left the game of hockey to, to move on and pursue different things in my life. Um, But for me, it already kind of attained the goals that I'd set out. I made the NHL and I'd kind of after the lockout, they changed the rules and the tough guy kind of was starting to get poo-pooed a little bit and, you know, I bounced around from the minors and Chicago Blackhawks and down to the minors again. And I broke my jaw. And, and I just kind of was, I felt like I was chasing a dream that I'd already lived once. And I didn't, I wasn't going to live the same dream from 21 to 31, from 31 to 41. So it was time to go out and find a new dream. And, you know, I'm really fortunate and lucky that I left the game at at, at the age that I did because I got to take my health with me. I got to take... The minimal brain issues that I do have with me and, uh, and, and kind of, and kind of move on in life and do something and have some success and take my personality out to the world. And, and I've done well for myself. I've got a great job and a great family. And and so I, I can't complain at all. We know that Chase and Twist were good friends and had that that great fight when uh, Chase was with
0: Hartford. Did you become friendly with any of these guys? Uh, it seems like obviously Domi was older and Probert, uh, Larocque probably was a little older. Did you become friendly with any of these guys and have a chance at the end of a night? Same thing. You guys kind of have one of these knockdown dragouts and then at the end of the
1: night go back have a beer and talk about it. Any of those? And how many? I mean, who are they? Yeah. I didn't drink beer a lot with the guys at other teams after games. Um, there was times when I had friends on the team, and I was like, hey, how you doing? Um, the one night that it did happen, though, was me and it's probably the most hit fight that I've ever been in. Uh, me and P.J. Stock just getting an absolute uh, punch in the Is face. Is the Yeah, the Bruin. Shall we, shall we watch? We shall watch. Well, let's watch and talk about it here. Um, you, you can know, go ahead talk. So it's, uh, it's it, it, we were kind of hanging out. Uh, I and, don't have it. My bad. Yeah, it's right there. Do
0: I? I did. Yeah. Let's 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 listen in for a second. Looking at each other, Lowe's The uh, feet are tapping like they're. And an here, they here they go. Go. hitches
1: up the pants. EJ was just on the ice for a shift. So of-
0: here we go. You can you can tell us what's
1: happening. So we hitch up, and then he goes lefts, and I go rights, and we just absolutely exchange blows. Uh, Saturday afternoon, 14 minutes left in the third period, tied 2-2. I look across and he's there and I said, well, we're probably not gonna get a lot of ice after this. PJ, you wanna put a show on for the fans? And he said, let's have some fun, losie So we just absolutely went at it. And that night after, we ended up being at the same bar and we had a couple beers and we were taking pictures and stuff with people. And, um, you know, I don't see PJ a lot, but when I do, uh, we give a brother hug and, and I fought him probably eight or 10 times in my career. And, you know, he's another kid pound for pound. Uh, one of the toughest guys ever to put hockey skates on. Like he's,
0: <laughs> we're gonna. Have, I'm gonna make people watch that. This is must viewing. Before you listen, you have to go watch that fight.
1: Yeah, it was. It, it's the one that everybody watches. When people talk to me about my fights, like oh, I seen that fight of you and PJ Stock. Man, you guys were slugging it out, and it was just a. It was just a. It was a good old punch in the face contest, and uh, you know, I think he got. He took more than I did because his arms are a little bit shorter, but uh, it still. It still looked good. So, so you guys say let's put on a show, let's beat the shit out of each
0: other and just throw punches at each other's face and then we'll go meet at the bar and take pictures with people. Yeah. That's my favorite story ever. I love that. It's crazy to me.
1: It's a it's really funny. There's it's it's really kind of interesting because there's not a really when it's when it happens like that there's not a grudge. We both we both understand what we're doing. We both understand what we have to do. Um, a lot of times guys would fight guys back in the day it doesn't happen anymore but I would fight guys especially if we were down a few goals or up a few goals we would give each other that opportunity because it was gonna chances are there was gonna spark a little bit of a comeback or was gonna change the tide a little bit and it got to a point where even when I was towards the end of my career in 04 or 304 or 405 where coaches wouldn't put you out in the if you were up three or four or five goals. You just sit on the bench, wouldn't even get a chance to play because they didn't want to run the risk of having the other team get a little excitement off one of their teams going out and battling. And that's what happened. But you know, back in the day, that was just part of it. If you got up three, great, three goals... You know, both tough guys were going to get on the ice, and that guy was going to give you an opportunity to go fight him and spark your team. Now you're going to run the risk of getting your ass kicked, and he was going to spark his team. But that was what it was all about. It was the tough guys were important, and they were, who was the toughest one, and who was going to give their team the spark. And uh, that's when the game was fun, and that's what I remember about it. And I think that's why the tough guy was revered by all of his fans and all all the players too, because it was without question the hardest job. Um, it was the most sleepless nights. Uh, I don't think Brett Hall stressed out too much about whether or not he was going to score a goal that night. He just knew that Oatesy was going to get him the puck and he was going to rip it under the bar. And if I didn't get my job done, then I was looking at the lights. And that wasn't a great night. So you always had to be on your game. You always had to be ready. And um, it was fun. I, I, you know, people talk about concussions and and all the all the stuff that comes along with it. And I did it because I wanted to do it. Nobody made me do it. And I'd sign on the dotted line again tomorrow and live the same career that I lived that time with the same running the same risks and, Part of the stuff that goes on with how they're trying to protect the players and protect the game, they're actually unprotecting the players by prote- by taking the tough guy out of it. And, you know, I feel like there's almost a sense of that we're too stupid for them to protect us. And in a lot of cases, we're not stupid. I, I run a multi-million dollar business unit at Baby Cat and, and Stu Grimson's a friggin' lawyer. So we're not complete idiots. We know what we're doing and we did it because that was our opportunity to make the National Hockey League and... I would do anything to make the National Hockey League, and I wasn't a good enough skater, and I wasn't a good enough goal scorer to do it that way. So I had to go find another way, and I just so happened to be good at kicking the crap out of people.
0: That's just how it happened. I love the name Stu Gripson. I was going to show one of those fights. We don't have all day. We could be. I could be here all night. So that's. uh, But that's funny. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but you know, you look what the Penguins did. They pick up Ryan Reeves to protect Sidney Crosby. I mean, and you said it too. Scott Stevens gave more people concussions just by hits. It's. It's. You're right. The the fighting. You guys had an art to it, and it obviously you guys knew what they were doing. It's more dangerous with these hits in the corner and people getting boarded and all that stuff. So
1: elbows, I blind it. sides. Yeah. it's uh, missed in
0: the game because, and like you said, that, that Toronto game. I did not realize you fought in that game, uh, but who knows? Maybe you don't score six goals in, in the next yeah. third
1: period. <laughs> you don't know. And I, the one thing that the one thing that it really lost was, you know, for me, it started with it. Lot the the tough guy lost respect from his coaches because they wouldn't allow them to go out and do what their job was and that turned into well what if nobody he's not going to be respected well the next thing you know i'm going to go take a liberty on somebody else because guess what that guy's going to not, you know, he's going to, like, tough guys were actually saying no to fights because they were scared that their coach was going to give them trouble or not play them the next game. And that's not, a, that's not a good position to put a guy in because you're starting to mess with the psyche that it takes. And chances are none of those guys were tough guys and to know what it was like to have to get yourself prepared and be able to flip a switch from laughing and joking on the bench to have to get pissed off and go beat the shit out of somebody. So that's the part that really got lost in the way. And now it's even developed even more because – Guys don't have any accountability when it comes to, you know, crackback hits when a guy's back checking and a guy cuts across the middle and he's not looking and guy just absolutely buries him. Chris Neal's done it I don't even know how many times. Two minutes, come back out in two yeah, minutes. No big deal, right? Yeah. And, and and you know, all that all, all has to happen is the tough guy's going to come out, he's going to grab me, uh, he's going to get seven minutes of penalties, we're going to get a five-minute major to score power plays on, and now all of a sudden you're now coming back to not only a, a liability on the ice, but now you're a liability... By by going on and protecting your teammates, so somewhere along the line, Barry, Gary Bettman screwed the whole thing up, and you know, hopefully, hopefully someday they realize that you know when there's no tough guys left. That, and I, I tell this to people all the time, and it, this is straight from the pit of my stomach and the bottom of my heart. They're not giving guys an opportunity that, in my opinion, appreciate their what they've been given in hockey more than anybody else. Because if they didn't have that role, they'd, I'd have never made the NHL. So my appreciation level for not only that role, but being able to to mingle and be a part of guys that are Hall of Fame NHLers, it's almost like kind of winning the lottery. And you know, for me, that kid that that is willing to do anything that it takes to make the National Hockey League is not going to get an opportunity to do that down the line. And And if you take a look down the line, the tough guys are the first ones to the charities. They're the last ones to leave. They're the most social. They're the most. They're the most apt to have a conversation with somebody. As
0: players too, As you players. and Twister yep. and Chase. You guys were always like
1: that. Always like that because again, Cam. I didn't like him so much. Just kidding. I love Cam. <laughs> you know, Cam's the same way. Right? He's a little bit turbo. He's a little bit quick-minded. Uh, But again, he he wouldn't he would never say no to an autograph and he would never say no to a conversation with somebody. And again, it's the appreciation level. Um, And hockey players in general are pretty good, a lot better than baseball players and football players. But um, again, I I think that tough guy is going to be missed someday. Uh, And then once it completely becomes extinct or there's very few around and they see the ruckus that they've actually caused in the National Hockey League, hopefully at that point they'll lift the instigator rule it's going to take a long time to get it in because right now what's happening is they're not getting these kids developed as tough guys in the younger leagues they're not even letting them on the teams um, they don't want them around um, so if they ever decide they want these tough guys to come back and they want to bring the enforcer role back it's going to take a long time and who knows it might not even be able to re, re- you know regurgitate itself at that point yeah
0: Got some few more minutes here. Sure, yeah. I appreciate the yeah. time. I want to talk about some of those teams you played on. Those were good teams. Yeah, really you mentioned really Joel Quinville, so I def- definitely want to start with him. Um, I mean, he's going to be a Hall of Fame coach now. Back then, it was his first real job. What do you see the differences? And, and, and tell me a little, give me a good Q- Coach Q story. Maybe the most um, down-to-earth, um, I just remember being around him and he was like a player. like He still wanted to be part of your guys' little girl. What are you guys doing over there? Huh? Yeah. You guys got another drink? What was, what's good? He just seemed like he was enjoying himself, and still is. I mean, he's in his 60s, but he just seems like the player's coach, but
1: if something has to be done, he's going to get it done. Yeah, without question. Joel's a great guy, and um, I think Joel's learned a lot about the game of hockey and I think one reason why he's had success you know obviously when you draft like the Chicago Blackhawks have and you sign guys that they have and uh, you had the teams that they've oh, Kane had. Kane and Tays years. show up at the beginning there. Yeah that's that that doesn't suck for him so when you take a look at it from that standpoint um, you know he's done a great job he's a great coach he's a player's coach but he commands a level of respect and he's always been like that um, you know we Al McInnes Chris Pronger you know those were the Leaders on our team when I was kind of going through there, Scott Mellenby was there quite a bit. Um, so those guys were those guys were legit captains, all three of them. So um, Joel had a good dressing room um, to balance things off, and uh, we we lost in the conference finals to the Colorado Avalanche, and they won the Cup that year. So there's no guarantee if we beat them that we would have beat the jersey devils obviously cuz they had a really good team with marty and net and scott stevens and nietemeyer and all the guys that they they had on their team they were pretty stacked jason arnett and uh, up front with uh, uh, Eliash and just you know a really good group of hockey players and guys that played a lot of playoff games and when you have the best goaltender ever to play hockey in your goal it's it's easy to it's a lot easier than when you have a guy that you you don't trust as you've seen through the years usually the team with the best goalie wins the Stanley Cup so you know we were really close um, we never really got back there had a couple second round appearances and then kind of dwindled off and um, but Joel's a smart guy and and Joel's developed the uh, into you know into a great coach and you know who knows if he's going to make it past these next five years or if he even wants to he's been paid a lot of money so like hair his hair is about
0: lead. to he's losing the hair I if
1: you look at the old pictures <laughs> when i was playing and joel's a coach he had dark hair it's funny now he's just a big old white man so it's kind of it's kind of comical but i always got along really well with joel he was always good to me gave me the opportunity to be in the national hockey league and then he gave me the opportunity to fight and stick up for my teammates when i needed to so from that standpoint, I wish he would have let me have the experience of playing a playoff game. I never played any so, playoff right. games, so um, that's the only if I only had one thing that I could say to Joel is, man, I wish he would have just let me dress for one, so I could have felt what it was like. But no such luck, and you know if that's the worst thing that happened to me in my hockey career, then you got to say she's a pretty decent one. Yeah,
0: and uh, looking at those teams, it's Kachuk and Demetra Pronger. You mentioned so Dougie has got Mellonby. So yeah. give me a give me a favorite Walt Road story. And I'll, I'll let you can think while I tell mine. I remember at, at one point I got to travel for a couple years with the team, and there was a little poker game that was played. And Walt's like, where are you going? And we went on to the room and thought we'd never see him again. At 3 in the morning, a knock on the door, and here's Walt with a wagon of beer. Literally 70, 80 beers. And he's like, all right, let's play. And we were about done, and so we had to stay and play because it was Walt. And <laughs> he was going to take all of our money and then drink all of our beer yep. <laughs> and then walk out. But uh, it just seems like this guy was so much fun to be around. Uh, I think a Hall of Famer, I, 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 obviously he's borderline, but uh, I, I you look at the numbers, definitely an American Hockey Hall of Famer. You have a favorite Walt story, now that I've set you up here.
1: Yeah, no, um, I don't have a bunch of Walt stories. That you uh, can tell. That, that I that's can right. tell, baby. <laughs> um, but he was, he was a great teammate in some aspects, um, you know, and – and in other aspects um there was challenges that walt and i had as as people um so but i love walt to pieces and uh he was a heck of a hockey player and i'll tell you what he uh he was one hard guy to stop getting to the net um on the road he, he loved to drink beers he loved to drink beers all the time um he was always buying us beer and buying us dinner and you know walt made a crap ton of money so um he uh he 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 uh He enjoyed his days as a hockey player, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, now he's really good in the community too, giving back, coaching. Obviously, he's having a ton of success, not even with his two boys. Uh, His daughter's a heck of a field uh, hockey player. And and so, uh, you know, I think his other son... um, uh, Matthews in the NHL. Braden is it? Braden Brady. Brady. Um, yeah. Boston College, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Boston College, and they're talking about him getting drafted in the first round this year too. So and his daughter, I think, is like a field hockey yeah, Maven. Yeah, she's gonna get a full ride summer probably too. But that's pretty cool. Like, the, obviously, the, the hopefully none of there. these
0: kids have lockouts because remember what happened to
1: Walt yeah. during the lockout? Yeah, he beca- he, he, he became up. one of those one of those things you see at a gas station yeah. that waves one of those blow up dolls. Yeah, Walt and I have the same problem. We like we we put weight on pretty easily. So we were both out of shape coming into training camp that year, and I ended up getting sent to the minors, and he ended up getting a team suspension. So uh, he got back into shape, and so did <laughs> I, and and uh, the rest is history. But uh, there was there was many times that I got on the road with Walt, and uh, the one thing I'd always remember is is Walt always had a big wad of cash on him, <laughs> and and like eight ten grand, just folded up in an elastic with an unlimited American Express card and a driver's license. I'm like, you know, that's how the rich and famous live right there. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw Mike Shannon ask for something,
0: and he pulled out his wad, and it's a rubber band. Yeah. Literally just a rubber band holding all of his money together. So yeah, those, those guys are... Too. All right, so lastly, I'm going to wrap up here. I don't know if you were in San Jose the night Mike Danton was taken it off the was, plane. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that night. That had to be a surreal. I mean, did, did no one knows what's going on, right? I mean, no, so no, tell me what you guys get on the plane, and he gets on and then is brought off?
1: No, 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 no. He was gone. He was already arrested. So... um we wake up in the morning, so we eliminated by the San Jose Sharks that night. Um, nobody really knows what's going on. Um, I come down, the bus is leaving at, at eight in the morning. I come down about 7.45 to put my bags in the bus and literally there's black SUVs everywhere and uh, FBI jackets everywhere. And we're all like, what the is going on here, right? So they're kind of quarantining us. There's all kinds of fans, everyone's around. They get us on the bus, they take us to the airport. Pronger, McKinnis, I think Quinville and Larry Plow is a the GM. They're off on the side talking to the big dog FBI people, uh, FBI people. and um, they get on the plane and they kind of make an announcement that earlier that morning, um, Mike got a lead that the FBI was after him, so he left his hotel room and he went to the airport and he tried to get on a flight. Um, they before. caught him
0: before. Oh, never
1: knew this. Yep before the so he got arrested at like four o'clock in the morning and he was in jail and I I want I don't know if if our management team stayed behind or somebody stayed behind I'm not really sure how that happened but we went and got on our charter flight and we flew back to St. Louis and all they told us is that Mike had been arrested for putting a hit on somebody (laughs) so the whole plane ride home we're all sitting around drinking beer in the middle of the afternoon on a four-hour flight back from San Jose going was it you? <laughs> was it you? He hated you, Lozi. He was putting the hit on you. And like the even crazier inside story that probably nobody ever heard was Ryan Johnson was his his roommate, and Ryan Johnson at four o'clock, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning gets woke up by the door being kicked in at oh. the hotel, and machine guns with flashlights on them and FBI people over top of his bed going where's my dad where's my dad and he said he's never been so scared in his life he almost soiled his sheets and uh he's like i don't know i don't know man he's right there they're like no he's gone. he's like i don't know i have no idea freaking out and so that's all we that's all we really knew at the time and you know it's i will it, i will say before you go with you guys i would just
0: i'd laugh because i'm like oh who is this walt who's doing this yeah. who's who's up oh yeah right cons right good one I, I see it where are you guys that it would was, be that'd be the
1: first thing I who's trying to who's trying to get me yeah. <laughs> this is real though it was we knew it wasn't fake. <laughs> there, there, there was 20 SUV yeah. and, and 50 FBI agents and they had everything quarantined off and yellow yeah. tape already done by the time we got out there. So we knew something was serious was going on. But yeah, it was uh, the talk of uh, the the plane ride home on whom Mike Dan was put the hit on. Nobody knew that it was his, his agent, David Frost. and. You know, it's really honestly at the end sad of the day, ads, laugh yeah. and joke about it. But it's really sad that Mike felt that he needed to protect David. Everybody knows that David Frost is a is a sex offender and has done things to young boys in hockey that are just horrific. And um, that's sad. He's uh, that there's guys out there that do that. But um, you know, Mike Danton was he's he's a different bird. Yeah,
0: definitely. Well.
1: I don't want to end on that, so
0: uh, thanks for your time. I, I guess I... Unless, I guess you will end well, on Well, everyone's talking about sexual abuse these days anyway. Oh. I mean, we've got Al this Franken. a crazy
1: place, man. I tell you what, everybody needs us back off. We need to stop putting so much bullshit on the news. We need. I want to start a company, and it's going to be called the Happy News. And all we're going to play is happy. They should just get rid of all the – No one will that, watch. No one will watch because they want to just see all bad things. So they, they spot a they spot a thing on TV every once in a while that says, oh, here, you can do this. Here, this guy did this was good. And then all of a sudden it's shootings in Vegas and every other city under the sun. So
0: it's, It sucks. But I will say it was it was awesome watching you play. We love – I mean, these, we're hockey fans forever here. And the stuff that you did on the ice – Um, Just made us happy, and that's that's why I enjoy that I get to come talk to you. We used to do a little work together, so I appreciate you doing this. And uh, anything going on with the alumni you want to mention or talk about? Anything you want to plug? You have a book
1: coming out? No, I I, the funny (laughs) the funny part I I do. own a a hair salon down in South County called Heritage Salon and Spa. and great place it's a 110 year old character home that i bought six years ago and rehabbed. so i got a full staff there and uh it's funny because i'm i'm the only guy and then i've got like 40 women working for me over there and i got a couple of, a couple of ladies that run the place for me and i kind of manage it from 30,000 feet while i have another job but it was a nice little investment for me and it kind of i've been doing it for 15 years now so it's pretty fun you ever go down and shampoo i don't those- do it i go down and get shampooed though and we're, this year, actually, probably early 2018, we're opening up. There's one little area in the front that's a little room. And uh, we're going to open up a barber shop so you can come in and get your your beard manicured. I, you and look it. at it, yeah.
0: This is a no-shave no, no shave November.
1: No-shave November. Yeah. So, and, and you actually, she actually, the one girl has her, her license. So you'll have to head down to Heritage Salon and Spa after you uh, get in December and let her shave that off for you. All
0: right. I'm going to go because you were so nice to join me go. for this long time. And I appreciate <laughs> right. looking at the fights. Thanks to Reed Lowe. Baseball and Beyond. I forgot the name of the. I forgot the name of it. Masses Restaurant brings you this show. Do you ever eat there? You ever no, have pizza? No. You should go. Have yeah. a have a pizza. I, mean, pasta. I go there. Oh,
1: that's fair. Yeah. We'll, I'll we'll, go there, and you one of my. Trade. <laughs> yes,
0: this is a trade. We're doing a trade right here on the air. Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses Restaurants. We thank Reed Lowe for joining us. Catch us next time for more baseball or beyond.